Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. In the house of God, there's just something beautiful at the minute. There's like a prophetic mantle at the moment, I feel, in counter nights tonight. So that's going to be a great night tonight. You don't want to miss tonight just sensing a stirring of the Spirit as we leave room for that. The healing rooms are going to be on as well. So if you need healing or any friends or family members need it, we're going to talk this morning about something that's very profound. Um, so I'm going to get my trusty flip chart. Um, you remember back uh, maybe a few weeks ago, if you were here, one of my, I have to watch Gary's guitar now, I got very nervous in the first session. There we go. And then he came up and hit my flip chart with his guitar, which I wasn't pleased about at all. So, um, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> no, no consideration at all. Um, I finished talking about Josiah, and I talked about um, whatever happened to difference. That was the question I, I left with, and um, I started to think about, this is our summary of foundations, which we've been on for since the last millennium, and we've been on this for months and months and months now, and I thought, how do I summarize what Dave and I mostly have taught on over the last number of months, and how do I summarize it? How do I summarize Paul, and I thought of this little line, differences that make a difference. And I thought about this sort of idea about difference. Whatever happened to difference? Whatever happened to the idea of being different? And what differences actually make a difference? Yep, do you understand that all right? And I began to ask and look through Paul's life and sort of think, what made Paul different? What made him different than, from the rest? And, and then I began to think about my own life and think about what makes you different? And you should think the same. What makes you different from the people in your office? What makes you different from the people in your classroom? What makes you different from the people in your street? Not better now. Don't get there. Or well, that's a sermon for another day. But what makes you different? What makes you different? What makes you when a neighbor who you maybe haven't had much of a conversation with gets into trouble and rings your doorbell in the middle of the night because she knows there's a difference? What how did that happen? How did somebody think? Of, why, why, what did they say? What, so these are all my little sort of theories around the Apostle Paul, and they're just, the, oh, they're just theories, all right, at the moment. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to suggest some differences in his life. I think his perspective was different. You know, the fact that he was, he was called to a Gentile world, it was a different perspective completely. He it, Whenever Paul was alive on planet Earth, it was the, the church was Jewish, so it was to start in Jerusalem, and so his perspective got different because really, if the truth be told, when you study Paul, he wasn't that good at reaching the Jews, and, and, and something happened through a massive process in his life that we have sort of delved into that give him a different perspective. I think his methods were different. His methods were different in that he had... God had revealed to him a mystery, all right? In Ephesians 1 and 2, 3, we see that unfolding right through the book of Ephesians with this mystery, this manifold wisdom to the house and the, the kingdom and building 
um, the church systems, as we look in a minute, was different. I think his convictions were different. I've just wrote little side notes to these. Um, his convictions were different. So his convictions were so strong when it came to taking John Mark on a second missionary journey. He says, no, that's not happening. And him and Barnabas had a bit of a head-to-head about it and actually decided to go different ways. Um, so his convictions were really strong. Um, whenever Peter, when he saw Peter being hypocritical, so Peter was, was playing with one and playing with another group, and Paul says, stood him to the face, with stood him to the face, he's saying, Peter, what you're doing is not right. I think his vision was different from others, so he had a vision to plant churches, all right? It wasn't just to do this and that and the other. His vision was very, very focused, all right? It was a bit like putting the finger over the hose. I think his experience differed from others. He had loads of experience, and he talks about being, in 2 Corinthians, about being beaten and been stoned and been shipwrecked and left for dead and all of these things. He had a wealth of experience, and then um, his attitude differed from others. His attitude just, uh, he was so focused when it came to his, his attitude. There was a, there's one of the funny stories that I love in, in um, when he's going to Rome. There's a prophet by the name of Agabus, and the prophet Agabus takes his belt off him and, um, and, and says to, gives him a prophetic word and says to Paul, the person, he takes Paul's belt, and he starts to wrap it around his own arms. Agabus the prophet wraps it around his own arms, and he says, the man who owns this belt, this is what's going to happen to him if he goes to Rome. And, and Paul, actually a bit frustratedly, says, guys, do you not get it? I am willing to give my life. I am willing to die for the cause of the gospel. And I am going to Rome, so give him a belt back. And it was a bit like his attitude was just so strong for this. So this apostle Paul, probably who was formerly one of Christianity's most zealous um, enemies, um, becomes the most ardent messenger, handpicked, yes, handpicked by Jesus Christ for a job, which we're going to see about you in a moment. We saw that he traveled tirelessly through the ancient world, taking the message of salvation of the 27 books that you have in the New Testament. Paul has credited 13 of them. He penned 13 of them. Um, And he was proud of his Jewish heritage, though he was called to the Gentile nations as well. He was martyred for his faith probably in around 64 or 65 AD by the um, emperor, then emperor called Nero. Um, He had a commanding knowledge of philosophy and religion and could debate with the most educated scholars of his day. And at the same time, his clear, understandable explanation of the gospel made his letters to the early churches the foundation of Christian theology that we have today that we're going to see. So, Tradition, tradition says that he was a small man, a small bald man. Hope that doesn't put you in mind of anybody. But um, not looking at anybody in particular. There's no mirrors. But he endured enormous physical hardships on his missionary journeys, and 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 just his persecution and stuff just seemed to inspire this man. He uh, God used him in special ways to minister to the church. Of that, there's no doubt. And it's a, but it is important to recognize that even Paul's 13 letters were inspired. Remember, if you were here a few Sunday nights ago, I talked about 2 Timothy 3, 15, about, and 16, 17, where God breathed out 
It's more than just inspired. It's a stronger word than just it was an idea popped into somebody's head. It was breathed by the Holy Spirit. Um, and so these men who wrote the Bible wrote from this empowering uh, of God. And they, they, they used their personality to do that. So their thinking and their values and goals and their sources of trust and their purposes of life were all woven into this real people, writing real words for real people. And man's problems in ancient times are probably still man's problems now in this times. And so the Bible is very current, very up-to-date indeed. My mom used to say, I don't know what you're reading that for. You should read your Bible. And I would say, but this is a, this is a adventure story. And she used to say, well, read Exodus. That's an adventure story. And and then I'd say, Mom, this is a love story. She said, read Song of Solomon. It's a love story. And my mom always had the answer, and she was always right. She was a great mom. So this guy, he, he, probably, he probably pioneered and planted in around 20 churches himself, and many more born out of his apprentice leaders. Um, in Asia alone, the New Testament mentions seven of them in Acts 2, or Revelation 2 and 3. And, and then Ephesus. Ephesus was a city full of churches, Missional communities, small house churches, more and more. And, 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 and what is far more impressive than the 20 probably that Paul had firsthand um, knowledge of and firsthand involvement in are the many, many more that actually were planted by his influence, by his daughters, granddaughters, sons, churches. It's incredible. So when Paul left planet Earth, he, he not only left some church plants, but he left a legacy. He left a legacy and a DNA of a movement that we are part of today. When the Macedonian man, when the Holy Spirit stopped um, Paul from going to Asia, and then that night Paul saw the vision of the Macedonian man waving his hand saying, come on over here, we need help. And so Paul sets sail and he goes to Macedonia, which we know is just the tip of Europe. And, and hence the well, I was going to, well, Brexit has sort of fixed that, hasn't it? But I was going to say, um, um, the church was born in Europe, in the Western civilization as we know it today. And in, in Paul's model of, of, of church planting, we, we've looked at this. We looked at the sort of main strategy he used. He, he looked for cities, strategic cities. He seemed to know somewhere where there'd be loads of people. And then he, he planted some churches, he, and then he, he entrusted these churches to Faithful leaders like Timothy became the pastor at Ephesus because Paul called him as one of his most faithful and trusted um, people. And he said, you need to, this, this church at Ephesus seems to be a massive church that seemed to be a bit of a church planting mechanism that needed somebody really strong. And Timothy became that man. So Paul founded the churches. He then shaped the churches and then he, he nurtured the church. He stabilized and nurtured. That was his his fatherly apostolic involvement in these churches. And so um, that was his idea. And then we looked through this. Um, this is the list that we've been through over the last six or eight months. We've looked at reforming your conduct. So I took you through a little bit through Galatians 5, the lusts of the flesh and the 17 things that God's saying you shouldn't do these. And then the virtues, the fruit of the Spirit, the nine fruit of the Spirit that are good, that you should do. And then family relationships, we took a few weeks on that. We looked at what it means to be a true community. And then Dave finished off last couple of weeks with the conduct of outsiders. And I'm saying this, I think they were two of the best teachers I've heard Dave do. They were incredible stuff. And you, if you haven't listened to those, you should grab them on your podcast. Or if you want to 
have a nice wee look at them again. You can get it on the archive of the live stream. There you go. It's far better. But, um, and then we looked at responsible living, which has been sober and watchful. So this is sort of what Dave and I have been wrangling through over the last number of months. And, and I hope we've, we've given you, this is what Paul, what we believe Paul grounded the early church in. So back to this idea. What, what, what made him tick? What made him different? What what are the differences that made him different? What is it the things that happened all right in his life? Now here's my humble suggestion. I've wrestled a little bit with this this week, but um, I'm going to give you my humble suggestion out of a, a passage in Ephesians, which is as I began to study Paul's letters, one of the things that I began to see that he makes a reference a lot to the last line, the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ. Okay, he makes a lot of reference to this. Um, so he talks about here, um, this idea, uh, he entered talking about when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come. It says he entered halfway down the verse once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood and goats and calves, we'll see in a moment, but by the means of his own blood and securing an eternal redemption, something eternal about this, which is very powerful. Paul would later write to the church in Corinth in one Corinthians 6.20, and he'd say, you're bought with a price. You're not your own. He says, you're bought with a price. And just in case you want to know what the price was, he says, the price is the precious blood of Christ. And so I'm beginning to wonder the mystery of the manifold wisdom. This is just my little theory, all right? Um, could it have been that on the road to Damascus, when Paul got a revelation of, of, of the living Christ, that he could actually call himself an apostle out of, because that's what an apostle was, someone who's seen the resurrected Christ. Paul calls himself one who was born out of due time. So he said, I wasn't like all the other apostles that saw him here. I was one who saw him like born out of due time. I saw him come special revelation to me. Incredible, isn't it? And I wonder, did something happen that gave him a divine, supernatural um, view of this incredible thing called uh, the blood of Christ. Now, bear with me, will you, please? We'll get a clean sheet. Sorry to go back to this, but there's something new that's sort of hitting me in it, all right? Just in case you fall asleep or anything on me. You know me old covenant thingy, don't you? All right? I've been working on this for years, all right? Um, and we know that in the covenant theology that man started off here and God made a covenant with the guys in Eden. Now, here, here's my straight line one. Sorry, this is my own little diagram. So it's a bit of my theology in it and I have too much in it to unpack today. But this is straight line, all right? This is, if you can imagine, Eden is the green one, creation here at the start. So we're here. God makes a covenant with, the, with, with man in the Garden of Eden. It's called the Edenic Covenant, if you want the fancy word. And then, of course, man sins. And then God begins to establish. You see them there, like ladder, a, a covenant with Adam, then one with Noah, and then one with Abraham, and then one with Moses, and then sort of a new Palestinian one, which is Joshua coming over, and then David, this develop. And then there's this, this incredible new covenant at the cross that we're going to look at in a moment. So that's the straight line version. And we're in that last bracket. See that Ephesians 2.10. We're in that little bracket somewhere. And I, I'm, 
I'm relatively sure, going by current events and by the Scripture, that we're probably somewhere near the tail end of it. It feels that way. And um, I, I, I believe that I will live to see this. I believe that, that Christ will come in my day. All right? I've no theology of it. I just feel it, and I, I know it in my knower. All right? The cool thing about that is in that bracket, that last bracket, that's the exact same day Paul lived in. <laughs> he lived in that day. So he was one of the last day saints, like us. And he started what this incredible thing called the church. This is the body of Christ. This is the most beautiful thing. Um, the body of Christ, the church of Christ coming together. And so in this idea of this beautiful thing, we have... Um, this covenant theology that what happened whenever man fell, God had a redemptive plan that he had organized a way before, wherever, before there was ever sin, there was a Savior, all right? So God had this all foreplanned. For he wasn't caught out. He didn't think, well, man has sinned. What are we going to do now? <laughs> there was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Revelation 13 tells us this. So, so God knew what man would do. He created them anyway. Because he knew that there would be a redemptive plan, that they'd already discussed it. The Elohim, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost had, had this idea, right? And so all of these, all of these covenants were, were something going upwards. They were all pointing to something. So they all, the, the, and every single one of the covenants, if you were to study them, you would see that they, oh, there, there's a body and blood and there's a seal, even in this one. All right, the body and blood of Jesus, the seal is the advocate, the Holy Spirit. All right? So um, all of them had, had and, and all, of, all, all of these were, what, what you've got to understand now, that the Old Testament covenants couldn't, couldn't take away sin. They just covered up sin. You know that, don't you? So if, if sin is that pain, and, and uh, if sin is that pain, God can't look and sin without judging it. So when someone sinned, they had to sacrifice for the sin, and the sacrifice covered the sin, so God wouldn't have to judge it, all right? The problem would be they would sin again, so they had to sacrifice again. They sin again, they had to sacrifice again. And then once a year, actually, they would do a big, big, massive sacrifice, because this sacrifice would be for the sins of omission, all right, so the sins of commission, those are the sins that you commit. But the sins of omission are the sins of, that you omit, the things that you should have done that you didn't do. And so those were things that maybe lots of people didn't know. And so once a year, God had devised this big, massive sacrifice for the sins of omission, where the high priest would go in and he would, he would cover even the sins that people didn't know they'd committed. <laughs> Incredible. This was the system. But when you come to Hebrews, Hebrews is the book of better things. If you mark your Bible, take a highlighter, and when you're reading through the book of Hebrews, mark every time it says the word better. Just highlight it. It's the, book, it's the key word, better. It's a better covenant based upon better promises. It is a better outcome, believe me. So all of this thing is far, far better. Because what it says, this man, Jesus Christ, after he had offer, offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand. High priest never sat down. That was a no-no. But this man sat down. Something was finished. So this work of sin, Jesus, the, the, the cross of Calvary didn't cover the sin. It took it away. And one of the Old Testament prophets reminds us he cast it in the depths of the sea. 
So it's gone. Sin, past, present, and future is gone. It's dealt with by the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ. This is really exciting. I know you're looking really, you're looking really excited. When it comes to the body and blood of the Old Testament, there were strict instructions. All previous covenants, like, so when it came to the, the, the body of the burnt offerings in Leviticus 1, that was, you, it was when you killed the animal, there was a specific instruction what to do with the body. <laughs> it's kind of weird. And there was um, specific instruction on what to do with the blood. And, and then in Leviticus 4 and 5, even with the sin and trespass offerings, strict instructions. Then the sacrifice, if you ever heard of it, of the red heifer. Yes, there's a red heifer mentioned in the Bible, Numbers 19, the sacrifice of it. The Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16. All the festivals, all the festivals, there was, a, there was an idea of what you had to do with the body and blood. But what you did with the body and blood was all pretty significant and pointing forward to something that was going to happen. When you came up this morning and took the little piece of bread, the little piece of cracker, and the little cup, there were symbols of the Lord's body and the Lord's blood, listen, which never saw corruption. The Bible's full of this. It goes right back to Psalm 16, and on and on it goes, all through Acts 1 and 2, you'll see this. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. This is, the, this is the coolest thing ever. There is a man in the glory today. He's called Jesus Christ. He's there with a human body. It's a glorified body now. And I'm not dead sure what a glorified body looks like, but I'm going to get one one day. And I'm, I'm hoping I'll get a, maybe one with her. And maybe a little leaner and maybe a few inches taller. My request in. I'm getting a new body. And, 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 and Jesus went to heaven in a body. He's the first fruits of those who slept. So his body and blood never saw corruption. He's there in body and blood today. And when we took that sacrifice or that covenant of cup and bread, we are remembering a body and blood that's as significant today as it was 2,000 years ago. And it's as true and powerful today. And I'm just wondering, did Paul get a revelation of this thing that blew him away? Was it something that, that just... Here, here's a verse in, in Hebrews. It talks about when Christ appeared as a high priest of good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of his, this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places by means of bloods and goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So you see, you see the power of this covenant. This covenant is securing for us an eternal redemption. Then he goes on to say this in, in, in chapter 10. I love the fact that Hebrews 9 and 10 give us two full chapters on the body and blood of Jesus. It says, When Christ had, had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made his footstool for his feet. For by this single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. People say to me, Phil, do you believe in eternal security? Yes, I do. I know there's loads of people don't. And there's loads of theologians far smarter than me don't, but they're all wrong. Um, the, 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 what's eternal about it if it's not forever? What's eternal about it if you can lose it? And this beautiful thing that, that God has established for us is incredible that we get this. We, we get this idea, and it's so important to our th theology. 
that we understand that the body and blood of Jesus is as alive today as it was then. And so what I, I began to, to, to sort of scribble through the New Testament this week and figure out some things about the blood of Jesus. Here's what the New Testament calls it for us. It, it talks about the atonement, Romans 5. A cleansing and a, and a nulling, a forgiving, a purging, a putting off, a taking away, a propitiation, big word, but just means to appease, to give favor. There's something about about the favor of God and the propitiation of Christ. Then there's the substitute, 1 Peter 3, taking the place of another. We all know what a substitute is. And then a redemption, this buying back or paying off. Those of you, if you're going to pay your mortgage off, they'll talk about the redemptive price or the redeeming of your mortgage. This redemption, a ransom to cover a sum paid in full, to a reconciliation, to exchange, adjustment, a restoration, and, and all of that sealed by this thing called the advocate, what the Greek word is parakletos, and a Greek word for every one of them, and I thought it would freak you all out. Um, but this parakletos in 1 John 2, an intercessor, a, one that draws, it's our name for a, 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 a rescue vessel that draws alongside, that actually comes and assures us of all that we have. And I just wonder, did Paul get such a revelation of this truth of the blood of Jesus that all of those things are ours? This is incredible, folks. This is, and, and this is what drove this man to be different. This, this man began to realize that the truth and vitality of the blood of Jesus that could cleanse from every sin was something that would drive him to give his very life in martyrdom for the kingdom of God. And I love that. There's something so powerful about this. I, 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 I think that if we could just grab the idea, all of this constitutes a truth to us. All of it constitutes a truth that, that the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ took our sins away and he bore them. You see, here's the, here's the deal. Here's the thing. The death of Christ was not an accident. It was an accomplishment. You know, the writer, to Paul, when he's writing to the church at Corinth, this is what he said. He said, if the princes of this world have had known, if they would have known what was going to happen at the cross, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. <laughs> if the devil and his hordes had have known what was going to happen at the cross, they would have leveled every tree in Palestine. There wouldn't have been one to hang them on. <laughs> it wasn't an accident. It was the greatest accomplishment of all time that birthed this thing that we now become part of, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church, the ecclesia, the ecclesia of, of Christ. There's something so beautiful about that. Now, here's a little thought that's running through my head. All right? Okay with that? Um, a little diagram? Okay. Here's a little thought that's been running through my head for a few days, Okay? Um, and I googled this last night. Now, I'm not a doctor, all right? I'm not a doctor, so if there's a nurse or a doctor in here, and I'm, I'm a little bit wrong or a little bit skew with, come and correct me afterwards, all right? We're part of the body of Christ, okay? So if we can think of the body of Christ a bit like this, all right? And if you could think of a human body, if you could think of a human body, and apparently uh, uh, they tell me that a human body is made up of these cells. And saw this one time somewhere, and I've sort of been running over my head over the last few weeks. And they say that whenever a body, whenever a body gets infection, when infection enters a body, what happens is 
Cells actually begin to fight each other. Now, I googled this last night. Google's wonderful. And Google told me, yes, this is exactly what happens. The cells actually start to fight each other. And, and there's a little battle going on in your system because there's an infection in it, right? And, and you, can think of this as the, as, you can think of this as the world. And here's the world, and God created all of these mankind. And, of course, it, there was an infection come into it. It's called sin. It's the worst infection ever. And, and, and all of a sudden all of these little cells start to fight each other. And then man thinks, well, what do we do about this? Well, well, somebody thinks, I tell you what we'll do. We'll build a wee church here and some will try and do something. We'll build another wee church and we'll build a denomination and we, we do our little things to try and heal this infection and we get these little denominations or churches which actually never really make a difference because the problem is the infection's too strong. But then they tell me that if you have an antidote or a remedy or an antibiotic, right, and, and, and you inject that into the system, all right, what happens when you inject that into the system, instead of all these wee cells fighting each other, they actually attack the antibody. They, they attack this antidote or this remedy, all right, and they begin to attack this and... Um, and the thing about it is, but the antidote has to be stronger than the infection. So when the antidote attacks, when they, when, when they attack the antidote, the antidote overrides the infection and brings healing to the body. Yep, isn't, that, isn't that pretty cool? Like my diagram? Here's my thing. Here's my thing. This is the coolest bit, right? This, this remedy is Jesus. And Paul found, Paul got a revelation of this. Paul was on his way to Damascus. He was running, he was breathing out hatred and like breathing out. That's what the Bible says in Acts 9. Imagine, he couldn't even keep it in. He was breathing out his hatred for Christianity. He was breathing out his hatred for this man called Jesus. He was breathing out his hatred. He had letters in his hand. He had a load of letters in his hand that were from the legalities of the day. That these letters were sent imprison them, put them to death, do whatever you can to stomp this thing out. And on his way, a light falls from heaven at midday, and, and a voice comes to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Or what do you think you're doing? And, and, and Paul gets a revelation of the living Christ. And something happened to his little system that all his little cells were going wonky. <laughs> Jesus injected by faith and revelation into Paul's system, and the rest is history. And if we could understand that the strategy to change the world is not systems and, and, and cool strategies, it's Jesus. It's the cross. And we can understand that this is more powerful than anything that ever went on here. There's something in this that that, that rises in our hearts that we think, wow, this is amazing. And here's the cool thing. A few weeks ago in the evening service, I talked about the power of this book. And hence, I wrote devotions that are at the back today. And, and the thing about this book is, if we, if we want to break it up and find out about this antidote, find out about this Jesus, we've got a full Old Testament. We've got 39 books 
in the Old Testament. And then if you want to know how many are in the New Testament, you just multiply three by nine. Or my mommy told me that when I was a wee boy. 27. All right? That was just a wee free bit there. So the Old Testament, 39 books. And it's the whole redemption from the garden. This, this Old Testament's telling us all about this. <laughs> you say, well, Phil, I didn't think the Old Testament is, is really applicable for today. Nonsense. The Old Testament's all telling us about this. All of it. Every story, every, every covenant is pointing this direction. It's all about Jesus. It's a hymn book. It's all about Him. And so all of these stories, in all of these stories, we see the redemptive plan of God foreordained before the world existed, coming to plan in Christ. It's beautiful. And then the Gospels, we delve into the Gospels and we see the words and the story and the sacrifice. We see the Gospels from four different writers all about the Christ. And then Acts, the sign and the seal, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. And then the epistles talk to us about the sanctuary, about the church, and then the revelation. Oh man, don't, don't ever stay away from the book of Revelation. It's not revelations either. Revelation, all right? One revelation given to one person. Incredible thing, because there's only one revelation. <laughs> and the revelation is this He's coming back. He's coming back. And the beautiful thing is the consummation and the realization and the beginning of our destiny. And the Bible actually says, You can read, I can give you all the timings, but you can read the book of Revelation. I'm not the fastest reader in the world, but my timing's 45 minutes. And I tell you, it'll be 45 minutes well spent. And actually, the book of Revelation tells us, blessed is he who reads and hears this prophecy. So there's a special blessing for reading it. There you go. So there's this, it's just all of this stuff, all of this stuff that comes. And we have this incredible revelation of Christ. And then Gary's going to come and finish us with a song. And, and I'm going to show you something while we're... While, while Gary's getting ready, just don't hit my flip chart, Gary. That guitar there. Um, the, um, where was it? Yes, yes, this is all ours. This is, this is the cool thing. And we do see this. Now, please don't let this dazzle you, but it should, all right? It should dazzle you. Look at that there. And I, that's, that's not exhaustive. That was just literally a few minutes f firing through some scriptures. This idea of the blood of Jesus Christ. Is it any wonder John writes in 1 John 1, 7, and he says this, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from every sin, every stain. This is our redemptive purpose. This is what, I was going to say, drove Paul mad in a good way. This is what changed my life as a boy. 11 years of age meeting with Jesus that would leave me never the same this is what changes your life this is what brings healing and destiny this is what you pray over your family over your homes because in it we have everything cleansed, justified, redeemed reconciled, peace access, sanctification, eternal life, overcoming Satan. Anybody need to overcome Satan this morning? Covenant relationship and the actual perfecting. Oh, all in the blood of Christ. It is so beautiful. And it's all ours.
And when Paul got that revelation, he said, that's worth living for. That's worth dying for. And he did both. My challenge to you is this. Whatever happened, the difference. Whatever happened, the difference. Why would you want to be me anyway? Whenever we've all of that, this is our redemptive purpose. We're going to sing a song, and then I'm going to come back to pray. And I have two things I want to say to you as I close. Um, the song is, if you've, if you've ever been to a brethren Sunday school like I grew up in, or a Baptist, or maybe a Methodist, or Presbyterian, you're all going to love this song. Because you're going to be able to sing it with your eyes closed, all right? Okay? All right? So I want you to stand. And I want us to sing a beautiful song with the blood of Jesus. And then we're going to come back and close. Thanks, Gary. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.